Eat Place Sleep podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of country whose lands were never ceded. We pay our respects to their elders past and present. Hey mummies, welcome to Eat Place Sleep, the podcast for all the families out there looking for all the answers. No matter where you are in your parenting journey, whether you're experiencing the highest of highs or the lowest of lows, we can help you realize that you're not alone. I'm Claire, mum of two and a certified sleep consultant and school teacher. And I'm Alana, mama of two and a school teacher. Pop your headphones in and join us along with our favorite experts to discuss all things eating, playing and sleeping. It's time to spill the tea. Welcome back to the potty. Good morning. Another early start for us getting on top of things before you go away today. I know. I think we were both in the 5am club today. Mine was for work. Yours was for kids though, right? Yeah. Yeah. Flynn had an early wake up and as much convincing as we tried, he did not go back to sleep. So we were up. I've actually got a home visit this morning. So I'm always excited for those. Love seeing the beautiful mums always turn up with a nice coffee to um, help pick them up for our morning ahead. Uh, Sounds amazing. So exciting. The morning visits are really good. I find that hands-on support just really helps the mum. There's nothing like physically showing the parent the techniques we're talking about. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So you've got a busy morning with your home visit. Do you have anything on for the weekend? Weekend is pretty quiet. Husband's playing golf yet again, but As I'm sure you're very aware, I'm getting payback and I have just started researching our girls' day. We're doing lunch, a massage, and going all out on the Gold Coast. I love that. I feel like you've banked up numerous hours with Geordie's new golf habit. I have, and how funny we were joking about doing it the day after the boys' night. And he looked at me and said, that's so rude. We're going to change our boys night if you're doing that. And they said, I'm just kidding. Just pulling your tail. We'll, we'll change our date. How funny just to keep them in check. Pulling your tail. What is that? Is it pulling your leg? Is that the same? Do you know what? I feel like you're so used to maybe telling Alfie not to pull Louis's tail that maybe you've just changed it. But that's so funny because I didn't even realize when you said it. That is so funny. I am constantly telling him to stop pulling his tail. He honestly will drag the poor sausage dog and we're trying to yell and clap and intervene as quick as possible before we can physically get there to get him off the dog. That should be a new thing. Stop pulling my tail, bro. (laughs) So funny. We're heading off camping for the weekend and the forecast is storming for the first day. So pretty sure the ground's going to be soaked. We're going to be pitching our tent. Well, I'm not going to be. Cam's going to be pitching our tent on very wet ground. And then we probably will get rained out and end up back home by this afternoon. If it is pouring down rain, just give Sadie a little pinch and say, oh, I just need to settle the bub. I'll hop in the safe, dry, warm car and let Cam do the rest. Yes, I love that. She can be my little decoy if I have to get out of something. That's so funny. I do love camping, not so much in the rain, but at the moment we really do need the rain. So in some ways, I'm sorry to say I'm actually really hoping we get a big downpour this weekend. No, 100%. And we've never taken Sadie camping, so this will be her first trip. So we've got two porticots this time in our tent, which is going to be very interesting, but I'll let you know how it all goes down. Today we will be getting into a really difficult chat 
this was something that we do not take lightly. We spoke to a beautiful mum who has experienced such tragic loss. Brooke is now starting to be a midwife and she's supporting families who are going through or have been through similar experiences to her, which is such a testament to the amazing mum and woman she is. If you're not comfortable listening to a story this tragic about loss, this is the point where we would ask you to turn the podcast off or have a pause and revisit it at a later time. If at any point during this episode you're feeling anxious, please refer to the show notes for relevant resources and supports. Okay, let's get into our chat. Brooke, welcome to the podcast today. You're here to talk about an unthinkable loss. Um, This is something that you just would not wish on your worst enemy. Before we get into the episode, I just wanted to thank you so much for being brave, opening up to us. I know your life now is dedicated to your kids, remembering baby Darcy, and it just literally makes me shiver anytime I think about it. But your job now is a completely new chapter. Can you tell us what you've been up to recently? Yes. So recently I've been at the Mater Mothers Hospital on an eight-week placement for university, just about to finish my second year. Um, So I've had some great stints in the postnatal, the antenatal, and then next week I'll be in birth suite for three weeks. So I guess I've been super busy doing placement. Um, Luckily they've um, extended it to part-time for me for this placement just around the kids and around work and everything that's going on. So yeah, and I was, I guess, as you may be aware, I was interviewed by the Curia Mail a few weeks ago, just as the Mata found, I guess, my story inspirational leading up to the Wave of Light ceremony on the 18th of October. So yeah, that was that was really nice to be interviewed by them and just to raise awareness and show people that even if you can experience uh, a loss that I had, that you can still actually go back and do a, a rewarding career and be able to help other women and families through their losses and their journeys as well at the hospital. That's that's so amazing. And I can just imagine you can give families, if they are experiencing that same unthinkable loss, you know, the support and empathy that could really only come from someone who's walked in their shoes. So I just can imagine that would be just really, really valuable and um, really important for those families. Yeah. But before we get into hearing more about your story today, we do give all of our guests a would you rather. It's usually a little bit silly, a little bit funny and trying to um, make us think of two things that are obviously not so desirable. So we're wondering <laughs> if you would rather go one week without your dishwasher or if you would go one month only listening to kids' music. I'd prefer to go with not the kids' music. <laughs> <laughs> You're hand-washing dishes for a week. Yeah, that's fine. I'm happy with yeah. that. I do that most of the days anyway, <laughs> sometimes. Uh-huh. That's so funny. (laughs) Now, Brooke, tell us about your kids. I had the pleasure of knowing little Noah, who's not so little anymore, when he was back in childcare and we were working both together at the same centre, actually. So tell us about your babies. Yes, so my crazy babies. um, Noah is now eight and he just fractured his foot. So he's. we spent the afternoon at the Queensland Children's Hospital getting a moon boot put on for the next four weeks. So he's in year two and growing up extremely quickly. Little Aspen, well, not so little Aspen, my rainbow baby. She just turned five in July and is starting prep next year. She loves running. She loves dancing, anything jazz related. Barbie, (laughs) 
Um, and then Crazy Little Henry, my tiniest one, and he just turned three in July. He is at daycare. He loves everything to do with trucks, cars, anything with sirens, and he absolutely adores his two older siblings. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. I do love that term rainbow baby because after a storm, there is a rainbow and your beautiful children are a testament to your courage and continuing on this journey of life. Was that a really big decision to talk about going through this process again? And how did you come to deciding it's time? So it actually, when I actually found out, we found out that Darcy had passed away in hospital. It was actually one of the first things in my head was I need to get pregnant again straight off the bat before I even actually gave birth to him I just said to Elliot it sounds awful I said I need to have another baby I've just waited we've just waited this whole year to have a baby and now it's been ripped from us to grieve to just to basically grieve was to to get pregnant again and have have that baby even though Aspen's pregnancy was the most anxious you know pregnancy I was having weekly scans with the obstetrician to just be reassured, I guess, um, and then it admitted a week early before I had her just to get pregnant again and have a baby was just all I could think of, not to replace him, but just to kind of help distract me and grieve through that time. And then, yes, with little Henry, he was a surprise. <laughs> Elliot was obviously happy with just Noah and obviously little Darcy and then Aspen, but then along came Henry. <laughs> so Henry was a great surprise which is fantastic. I was all, I've always wanted three kids. I still say I've got four. Sometimes I have to just say, yeah, I've got three because obviously strangers in the shopping centre or you don't want to be standing there and telling them your story and be like, oh, I've got four kids. And then I have to go through that and explain to people that you just don't know the story. But obviously, yes, going through those pregnancies after, after that loss was, yes, one of the most anxious times of my life. <laughs> Yeah, and I can understand that if you have progressed through each week of your pregnancy, for some people you feel more comfortable knowing you're getting further along, but I guess for you you're getting closer to that horrible mm. time. So it's probably a little bit different to a normal anxious pregnancy. Um, further along doesn't necessarily mean safer in your experience. No, yeah, exactly. So you know, people think, oh, once you reach the 12-week mark, it's all fine. Like everything will be smooth sailing. That's when most mis miscarriages would happen. But no one really expects for things to go wrong a week or two before you're being induced or at full term at 40 weeks. People just don't think things are going to go wrong. And I had all the proper medical checks, the scans, the pregnancy was fantastic. And it's just obviously that's not what you expect to happen right at the end of the pregnancy. So, yeah, I guess leading up to that 37-week mark, I said to my obstetrician, I just need to get Aspen out because a day before, 36, I said, I need to be induced. I can't go through this again and just wait one extra day. And so, yeah, I was induced at 36.6 and she was fine, didn't have to go to special care. She was breathing. And just the relief of having that Darcy's birth when it was so eerily quiet and the room was just, it was just so strange. And then having Aspen, the relief, is just huge you know with her actually hearing her first cry I was like oh my god she's alive it was just it's just something you can't even explain 
And you, you touched on it a little bit there, Brooke, but can you talk to us a little bit about your pregnancy with Darcy? It sounds like that was a real smooth sailing. You know, at the beginning, you didn't have any inclination that things were amiss at all? No, yeah, so through his pregnancy, I had I did have some vomiting, like, you know, the kind of morning sickness stages, nothing else bad. There was no bleeding, um, nothing else throughout the pregnancy. Towards the end, though, I did have a terrible cough for about four weeks, which just a lot of women have coughs and colds and flus throughout their pregnancies. So I said to the obstetrician, maybe I was coughing too hard. That's what caused the placenta to abrupt. But we would never actually know like what has happened. Like the placenta was sent away at the end and there was absolutely nothing wrong with it. And there was nothing wrong with him either. So they just based it down to a complete out of the blue placental abruption. Do you feel like if you knew more details about why it happened, it could help in your grieving at all? Yeah, because, you know, I guess I went through a little stage of blaming myself and just going back and back thinking, what have I done? Have I eaten something different? Have I moved a certain way? Like for a full-term, you know, healthy baby, 3.3 kilos, 53 centimetres, just to die randomly because what happened to the placenta. And I nearly also died with hemorrhaging of 1.7 litres of blood and then another 600 mils during labour and delivery. I'm just thinking, you know, how does this kind of happen? And we know your story, Brooke, in, you know, enough detail to know what happened there. But for our listeners, um, what happened with the placenta in those last um, few days? The hospital just said the placenta, with an abruption, it just basically rips off the wall. You can have a partial abruption where the baby can still live and because obviously it's getting still some oxygen, but in my case, it was just uh, instant. The placenta just completely ripped off the uterus wall and obviously then that stopped all oxygen for poor baby Darcy and it just happened out of the blue. So I guess during that, it was just a matter of hours. Everything seemed fine. He was quite an active baby. I felt him go crazy around 8.30 mark at night. And then by midnight, a few hours later, I was having pains and I thought the contractions have started. This is fantastic. Now we're going to labor. I guess I I stood up off the bed and that's when I felt a massive gush thinking it was my waters. Uh, But looked down and it was pure blood. It was just, it was horrible because I had just leant over and said to Elliot, I think it's time we, you know, head into the hospital. And it was just like, it was natural murder scene. It was phenomenal the amount of blood that was coming out there was clots the size of my fist I was basically numb from my chest down I was white I I passed out from blood loss at one stage before the ambulance got there it was just so it all happened super quick once it all I guess kicked off around midnight how quickly things went from what should have been the most exciting night to probably the worst night of your entire life and nothing will ever be that. It's no. just unthinkable. I just wanted to touch on the support at the MARTA. I've seen in some of your interviews, you had the most incredible care and support team around you. I'm assuming this is what's led you into your career change to be one of these beautiful people. but. Can you tell us about the amazing midwives at the hospital? The bereavement team are fantastic there. There is um, Cherie, there is Emma and there's Penny. And I actually was lucky enough to work with them last week on level 10. So it was quite difficult going back to that floor because that's where I was and that's where I say my room is. 
So it was it was difficult. I had to sit with them and actually go into bereaved parents' rooms last week. So that was quite tough. They're they're sensational. They organise a phenomenal amount of work behind the scenes from heartfelt photography for the handprints to get done, clips of hair. Sadly, obviously the funeral proceedings, they give you a like a list of places that you can go with the baby. But they give you the valuable time you can spend. They don't rush you out the door. They let you have your private room, have your private space and spend as much time or as little time as you'd like with the baby. And they're just there to support you through obviously the most unimaginable time of your life that you just can't expect. So that team is just incredible for all the the stuff behind the scenes. I just think people underestimate what actually goes into it. And especially last week, seeing it firsthand, what they do is just, is just amazing. And seeing it from the other side would be a totally different experience. But if you are there in a room supporting a family with what you've been through, you can really empathize and understand. And I know everyone's experience and their feelings would be so different. Would you open up to families about your experience? Yeah, well, um, I think a few, say I have to follow women through through their pregnancies as a part of my degree. So I think a few of them, you know, have a little look on Instagram or Facebook and then they kind of, you know, find out that information to them for themselves. So I don't usually disclose it to them, especially the ladies I follow, just because I don't want to scare them or worry them too much. I just usually help just raise awareness about movements and when to go into pack. But um, one of my ladies, unfortunately, who I was following last year, did know about my story and history. And at 31 weeks, she actually went through the same thing and had, had a stillborn at 31 weeks. So um, I went and supported her because I said to myself, this is what I wanted to, this is what I want to do. This is the career. And her and her husband were just so grateful because they said, we need you because you know exactly how we feel. No one else can relate to us. And we want you to walk us through of what's going to happen for the delivery. So yeah, I went in and I was supporting that family until 2am in the morning and was with them right until we took their gorgeous little girl down to the morgue. And it sounds crazy but I actually you know got some closure myself because I got to see what the morgue looked like on the other side and that's where my baby had gone and so I was able to also help that family but also see where my baby had gone to. For some people stepping back in that hospital would just be too much to handle but it's really evident to me that your mission now in life is to remember baby Darcy and to remember and to support and to provide awareness and I wanted to touch on the mention of movements and going into the pregnancy and assessment center. I always say to people, if you're concerned, just go in because these people are never going to turn you away and say, you're being silly. You'd rather them turn you away and say, yep, false alarm, go home. Yeah, for sure. I agree. I, even in antenatal clinic and people up on the wards, we say to them, none of nothing's silly. If you're going in, if you've got something wrong, you feel the baby's movements have changed. Their pattern is different. The kicks aren't as strong. You know, you've got any loss, fluid loss. Go in. We want you to go in. It's no questions a silly question. If you go in and, as you've just mentioned, everything is great and green, that's fantastic. You can go home and we've checked the baby and then they're reassured, we're reassured. We'd prefer the ladies to go in and 
and be checked out and everything's great. It's also great if they do go in and something is wrong and we can just get them straight in for a Caesar or admit them. You know, that's what we want. And so if anything changes, I'm such a huge advocate now to say you need to go in. Like anything slightly is different. Please just come in and get checked. Absolutely. And you'd rather walk away feeling like, oh, maybe I didn't have to go in, but I'm glad I did, rather than being at home and that anxiety just building at home because there's nothing that could help. No, especially if you're sitting at home and then you don't go in and something is wrong and then obviously there's a tragic outcome and you just, I just don't want them to be in that position and just not forgive themselves if something was to go wrong at home they're in the right place if something is wrong at least you know you can get them to theater you can get them to birth suite wherever you need all the resources are there because if something does go pear-shaped for say a placental abruption you have 10 minutes to get the baby out and if it's over 10 minutes it's all over Brooke I reached out to you recently for advice and I think this is just something that's super common that we don't know what to say and we don't know what to do and I know that you've got an incredible family of support around you and I'm sure you've got an incredible friend group of support too. What can people do to help? What can people say? The last thing you want to do is come home and start cooking and cleaning your house. For me I just I didn't really eat for weeks but we were we were given so much food. It Obviously, Noah was just under two, so that helped a fair deal because I just wanted to stay in the bed and just cry. And then just, I guess, the support of people just offering that, you know, the food and meals for when I was ready to eat or just to help with if they have other children, to help looking after them, drop daycare drop-offs or pickups, or putting them to bed for witching out just so you have that time to be able to rest because, you know, essentially you're still giving birth to a baby in the end. Or, and getting over that trauma and if especially if you've had significant blood loss or cesarean and then you've lost the baby, you know, you're trying to deal with all of these factors. And so your body is still exhausted and recovering. So you do need people to support you if you've got other children and, you know, have meals and pop them in the freezer or come and do a load of washing or clean the house. But anyway, and then you will eventually potentially want to go out and get some fresh air and go for a walk. I remember vividly going to Carindale the first time after it happened and it took me weeks to get back there just because I just didn't want to be around big crowds and, you know, I was in extreme mourning. But I guess just to support and people say, you know, what would you like us to do? Is there anything we can do for you? And and I think mostly just definitely letting the, letting the mum and the dad, but mostly the mum get that rest that her body will need to recover and to grieve. It's an important point when you're walking through Carindale. It's nobody knows that's the first time you've left your home and what you've been through. And it's just mm-hmm. an important reminder to be so kind to strangers because you have no idea what that person walking in front of you has just been through. Yeah. Especially like, say, going to the daycare. Like, I used to work at the daycare, and most of the parents, for example, I went back two days after it happened to pick up. Noah and they're like oh my god you've had the baby and they were so excited for me but obviously none of them had known except for the staff what had happened and so for me I was it was just so it was so overwhelming and I was very upset and obviously when I had mentioned oh well this actually happened like I had basically the entire center in tears um so they had to actually release an email to the entire you know staff and parents of the center just to say hey 
this is what's happened with Brooke and her pregnancy and, you know, she will no longer be returning. And uh, even the amount of support I got from them and all the parents was just astronomical. It was amazing. But, yeah, I guess walking through Westfield or in public, you know, you might bump into people that had known you were pregnant and then hadn't have heard and just to see them so happy and thinking, oh, you've had the baby, you know, where is it? And having to just explain that, that story over and over again was was a lot. Like mm. it's just it's very emotionally draining. That's one thing I guess I, I definitely remember. It's sort of re-traumatising, is it, all over again having to repeat the story, especially when you're still processing it yourself? Yes, like especially when, we, you know, when you're still waiting results back of the baby and, and the placenta and what's gone on and you're still not even sure why it happened and, you know, you're, you're out and you're seeing other parents pushing prams of babies and, you know, friends of yours might be pregnant and just is so many triggers. Like my lovely, beautiful best friend, Amy, she was also pregnant at the same time and she had a little baby girl seven weeks after I lost Darcy at a different hospital at Greenslopes and I took myself to the maternity ward there seven weeks after losing losing my own child and went in there and it was just such an emotional time because I was so happy for them but I was so devastated for me that I wasn't holding a baby as well. What a mix of emotions. You would be so genuinely happy for your friend but just so heartbroken as you would have probably talked about your futures together and yeah, I just cannot even imagine what that would have been like for you. That's so heartbreaking. It is. It is still heartbreaking even to this day with the giant milestones. Like um, Darcy was due to start prep this year and first day of school, you know, her beautiful daughter started prep and I'm thinking, oh, this would have been him as well. Like I wonder what he would have looked like or what personality he would have had if he was as crazy as the, as the siblings, what his interests would have been and just those milestones and especially the birthday anniversary is just such a, a sad day. I try and stay a bit quieter leading up to the anniversary. The actual day I spent most of the day crying, went down to the Esplanade near the water and my partner Chris and then my sister Cara and her husband, we had like fish and chips and we took his little urn with us. And so we had a, like a little lunch with him down at the Esplanade for his birthday, which was so sad because you shouldn't be holding your baby in an urn. You know, they should be with you there but just to get a bit of fresh air. But that day is always the lead up. You try and tell yourself it's not going to be as bad. It's not going to be as bad, but you just woke up at 6.29 and his his anniversary was at 6.31. So it was just so weird to wake up and look at your phone and knowing it's in two minutes when he was born. And so, yeah, the anniversaries and milestones are so hard, even to this day, and it's so many, a few years on now. I don't think it's ever going ever probably ever going to change. Brooke, do you have you explained this to Noah? I know he's eight now. Um, does he have any awareness of what's happened? Yeah, actually, he's he refers to Darcy as like um, he knows he's his brother. He actually got to meet Darcy. I thought that was really important. I know it's not everyone's preference. He was under two, and I and I said, you know what, I would like him to meet his brother. Um, obviously he didn't really understand what was going on at the time, but we received so many bears around that time. He referred to Darcy as a bear, <laughs> bless his little soul. So everything is a bear is Darcy. 
but now he's older. He, you know, he's, he's seen some photos that are a bit age appropriate. And he says to Aspen and Henry, do you know that you have a brother and his name is Darcy? And like, I'm trying to drive the car. If he's talking, I'm like, oh my God, how are we going to explain this? Or if he sees a bright star in the sky, it's in the sky. He's like, that's Darcy. He's the brightest one. And he was my little brother. And he still talks about him. Like he's so proud of him. And Aspen and Aspen and Henry just stare at him. Like, what are you talking about? Like, cause they have absolutely no idea. And it's hard to explain to them because Henry doesn't even know what day of the week it is. <laughs> but Noah, yeah, he still regularly, at least once a week, mentions him and says, you know, I've got another brother. And he's like, at Aspen, he's like, oh, you would have had three of us. He makes light of the situation, which is, which is nice that he remembers him in a way, which is good. But leading on, I will have to eventually talk to Aspen and I think she'll start asking questions now because Noah says it so much. And to be able to tell her, you know, you, you did have a brother and he was born just before you and show her some photos so she can kind of get an idea. Now she's getting a bit a bit older. That's so beautiful that he has that connection. And yeah. that's something that we do here. And I, I guess to get your input on is speaking their name and letting that memory live on. Is that something that we should be doing around our, our friends and family who have gone through this, this loss is just keep saying their name and talking about them? Yeah, I, I 100%. I, I personally love it myself. I know some people try and push that trauma. It's essentially a trauma away and sometimes it is upsetting. I remember when my mum used to say, oh, Darcy, this, Darcy, that, and I just start crying. So I think she's stopped saying it now. But as the years have gone on, of course, yeah, he was a part of the family. He was a baby. He was a person, you know, he was he was here and he, was, he is my baby and always will be. But, yeah definitely keep talking about them because otherwise you know you don't want you don't want anyone to forget and it's just not like you had a baby and yes they've passed away but you don't want to push them to the side with your incredible work at the hospitals and recently you've done some interviews and it's just such an incredible way to reduce this stigma around loss because it is uncomfortable and i know we can all agree that it is an uncomfortable topic statistics show it's a lot higher than you think i was reading up about it recently and i was shocked um to know that i think it's around one in a hundred people lose a bub after 20 or 22 weeks much higher than i i ever thought even even during the pregnancies before i lost him i thought oh this this would never happen to me even a couple of women in at my mother's group um if even Noah had lost the babies, I'm like, oh, I couldn't even imagine what they're going through. And I thought I've got, I've got excellent private care. I've had all the scans. I'm doing everything right. I'm even eating the right food. I've done everything correctly. And then, boof, it happens. I'm thinking, oh, my God, like it was a complete kind of slap in the face. Like how can this even happen? And, you know, if I was obviously doing drinking and smoking and illicit substances, you'd think, okay, maybe this is, that's the reason it was caused, but doing everything textbook perfect and it still happens. It's just, it's just crazy how it happens. And now I've seen firsthand doing placement at the hospitals. It does. And there's, there's baby after baby. And the morgues, I saw six babies in there when I took the other little baby down to the morgue last year. And I was just absolutely gobsmacked thinking, 
I'm really not one of the only ones. Like this is happening every day and it's happening a lot. We're just trying to find, I guess, a way of how to reduce those numbers. It's just crazy. Like all these all these babies are just randomly dying and like what can be done to change that? And that's a very heavy burden to feel as a mother, just to be blaming yourself in any capacity where I'm imagining so few of these deaths are happening because of the mother. There's so many other factors and things that we don't even know about in the medical world that that cause this. But how do you sort of work through that and release some of that burden, I suppose, that it was anything to do with you? So I saw a psychologist after it happened just because I wanted to kind of, you know, just go through the trauma and just express how I was feeling and said, is there anything that you think I've done? I had multiple appointments with my obstetrician. I said, you have to tell me if I've done something wrong. Like I need to know. And then finding out that there was nothing that I could have done. There was, it was completely out of the blue. It was really hard to accept because I thought, well, what happens if we got induced a week earlier? You know, could have they taken my cough more seriously? And that's maybe what caused it. You know, it's all the what ifs that drive you absolutely mad thinking, was it the cough? Was he, because he was a larger size baby, so many factors that run through your head and it does drive you slightly crazy. But as the years have gone on, I've just kind of had to accept that I will never know what has happened and and never find out if it was me, if, if it was, if he kicked the center off the wall, just as the years have gone on, that's just what I've had to just accept. And you've gone on to have two further beautiful, healthy pregnancies and babies. So just an absolute horrific event that happens more than we think. And we prepare so much for our pregnancy and our labors. And you would just never prepare for this nightmare. And I guess that's probably one of the hardest things is no one knows what to do, how you'll react. Yeah, for sure. It's it's definitely been a one day at a time, step by step, ever since it happened, like, you know, well, what's next? What's next? Before I even gave birth to the sweet little darling, you know, I was saying to Glenda, my obstetrician, who's amazing, I said, I don't want a cesarean. I was already four centimeters dilated. What's the point of a cesarean? I was just, you have to just keep thinking ahead of, of what's the future kind of is what you're in for really. So moving through all those steps and then saying goodbye to the baby upstairs, I will never forget that was the most probably traumatizing thing I've ever had to do is we said at the hospital, we will give baby Darcy back at say 3 p.m. on Tuesday. The room next to us, I vividly remember, was a little boy called Johnny. Same thing happened to his parents the day before and them coming into the room, so lovely, the bereavement team, and having him in his cuddle cot basically saying bye to your baby in the hospital is just, I can't even explain. I was on the ground. I couldn't even breathe. Watching him get wheeled out the door, little Johnny was going at the same time and watching these two little babies go down the corridor and to the morgue together, it was was so hard just watching them go and, like, no parent ever should have to watch their baby get wheeled away to a morgue. But I just remember that was the most tragic time doing that. But I said, I, once I had got off the floor, I said to Elliot and my sister, I said, at least he didn't go alone. He had a friend to go with and he wasn't alone. He had his little friend, Johnny. So that was 
a slight, that was a nice thought to know that he wasn't going by himself. I joined lots of like grief and bereavement teams um, and groups on Facebook. Bears of Hope have a wonderful support team as well. And um, I guess doing lots of interviews of raising awareness um, through different like media outlets, I was contacted by women from all over the world, even from Germany. I had to try and get languages translated for messages from them saying, oh, my goodness, like this has happened to us and we haven't been able to talk about it until now. We're so grateful saying to people these things do happen and supporting other women who have, who have also gone through that and have had babies and then their babies have been palliative and being with them through the journeys of them losing their babies, even weeks on, it's just, you know, you meet all these women and other midwives who have been through the same and you can just chat with them about your story and they can chat with you. And it's just the feeling of knowing that you're not alone is just, it's really, it's really good. And to be able to help support women who are going through that is just wonderful. There's so much power in vulnerability and sharing your story, not just for yourself, but on a scale, it's clear that it's, you know, really helping so many other women who have been through these similar situations. And I just think you are such a brave and amazing person to be doing what you're doing. It takes a lot of courage. Thank you so much. <laughs> worked very hard to get into this degree. So I'm very happy. I, I really worked hard to get in to, to be a midwife. This has been a very emotional chat but we just can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing your story and even if one person's life is impacted and feels less alone we've done our job to share your story and baby Darcy's story I definitely agree with that one one is even the most amazing thing you'd never wish this on anybody not even your worst enemy it's one of it's the most tragic thing I've ever gone through and I would definitely never be the same person from that day good luck with all of your future studies and we know you're absolutely going to smash it oh thank you (laughs) actually won a scholarship this year it's called the sandy nun memorial scholarship and it was showing dedication ability and passion um, for a student towards their degree um, after returning to study from raising a family so that was really an honor to show that all my hard work and dedication towards this degree is actually being recognised and I thought I'm not driving myself completely mad for no reason. (laughs) When I was in the Curia Mail a couple of weeks ago, they were so excited that, you know, their mummy was in the paper wearing my scrubs and my stethoscope. They all think I'm a doctor, but, you know, I'll take that. (laughs) A midwife is just as important, honestly, after having my children. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Thank you for joining us today at Eat, Play, Sleep. We hope you took something away from our chat today. And remember, we are all doing the best we can. If something is not broken, don't fix it. Our journeys are all so different and so are our children, so we shouldn't compare ourselves. If you liked what you heard today, please give us a subscribe and show us some love on our socials. See you next time.